Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to uh, the Current Yield Podcast, a production of Grant's Interest Rate Observer. I am Jim Grant. With me, as always, is Eric Whitehead at the controls, uh, Phil Grant, who uh, publishes and writes our almost daily grants, indispensable almost daily grants, and uh, the great Evan Lorenz sitting directly across from me, the deputy editor of grants. And joining us today is an alumnus and no mere average alumnus, although there are none such in the Grant Stable, but rather Dan Gertner, who, as you longtime subscribers will recall, uh, did the heavy lifting and so much of the substantive analysis, uh, mortgage securities and housing in the run-up to and in the midst of the troubles of 2008. So, Dan Gertner, welcome to Grants again. Thank you, Jim. Great to be here. I uh, have felt a little bit sorry for you all these years, uh, many years now since you left, because, of course, leaving Grants constitutes, uh, uh, let's say, it a step down in uh, prestige and uh, social standing and the like, and if not salary. So uh, so it's good to have you back again on this, the 10th anniversary of, uh, you know, whatever it was that blew up. So um, The greatest time for financial journalists in history. I would say. Wasn't that sweet? Ah, no, no, it wasn't sweet. It was a terrible disaster. Terrible. For, yeah, I'm sorry. I missed that. So much to recall. I, I, I want to begin, Dan, by a fateful email or phone call. I've forgotten what you got from a very, very fine investment investor called Alan Fournier, who ran Pennant Capital. I think he's no longer doing that, but he certainly has had a distinguished career at Pennant. And uh, Alan Fournier was of the mind that house prices could fall and that whether they fell a lot or a little, uh, the mortgage tranches, as they were called, I guess still are called, uh, these uh, non-Fanny and non-Freddy structures would be at risk of failure. And tell us, if you would, please, what happened after you got in. This is this right, Labor Day 2006. All right. So what happened next? Well, leading up to that, we had written several sort of bearish, we had taken a, a bearish view of the housing market and written up some banks and mortgage insurers, and Alan sort of tied it all together for us in Labor Day 2006. So he had called up and he, he said, if you if you guys are bearish on the housing market, you should take a look at buying credit default swaps on some RMBS tranches, the subprime tranches. And he walked me through his thought process. If housing prices went down, the lower rated tranches of these RMBS were, were bound to fail and go to zero. And at the time, he was able to buy insurance, which is what the CDS essentially were, on the lower rated RMBS tranches and he was buying it for 2% on the dollar. So every year he had to pay 2% to buy insurance and if they failed, he would get 100 cents back. And he was looking for deals that were highly concentrated in California and in Florida and in states that had high price appreciation. Yeah. And then he was also looking for RMBS to short that had a lot of liar loans, a lot of... You're right. He, he, would curate, he would curate these. He would go through these things and, and make his own... Yep, uh, yep. Yeah. Like a, so he wasn't just buying everything. He was buying the worst of the worst. Yeah. Eating and, at the uh, the worst uh, swill buffet, as it were, without the sneeze guard. Yeah. That was that was Alan's trip. And, and over Labor Day weekend, I spent my, my Labor Day weekend that year, in addition to welcoming my, my firstborn son, uh, going through the, the offering documents of several RBS securities. And the one that we chose was the, the aforementioned 2005 ATL A securities, la da 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 da. And uh, I spent I was found that I was probably one of the few people that actually spent the time to go through the 300 pages of the offering memorandum. And what I found was just shocking. Instead of being this diversified pool of mortgages across the country, it was a very much a concentrated pool. Yeah. 50, 60% 
concentrated in Florida and California. The the resets for the optional arms were all concentrated in a couple months in 2007. A high concentration of people not offering income verification or job verification or asset verification. Okay, let me let me let me set the scene for the because the context of this is as intriguing as the as the opportunity, which was as they say in the trade, phenomenally asymmetric. Alan Fournier stood to lose very little if he was wrong. He wrote checks every year to the people who were providing the insurance. Um, you know, they could f- afford that, and if he, if he was correct, as indeed he proved to be, payoff was immense. So this opportunity took place in the context of an existing uh, bear market in many housing stocks. It was no secret that house prices would peak or had peaked. That was out in the open. In fact, this, our story led off. The nation is, quote, the nation is running out of magazine covers on which to announce the coming collapse of house prices. That was the opening sentence of this cautionary story on these mortgage structures. So not only were the, were the, were the housing stocks like Countrywide Financial and Toll Brothers and New Century Financial Court, not only were they uh, falling, but also there was a positive frenzy to buy the, uh, the mortgage banking subsidiaries of many of these asset securities mills. I mean, um, I think over Labor Day weekend, it was, I think Merrill Lynch uh, had agreed to buy National Citicorp's home mortgage subsidiary, like a, a billion three or something. So, that, so what this shows you is a most astonishing disconnect between known information and evident fact and opportunity. We, we worked on this for years before, and this was 2006. This was not 2008, right? There were two years to go before everyone said, oh, yeah, before uh, Ben Espernanke, PhD, said, eh, there's a problem. This was even before Ben Bernanke said subprime is contained. I believe that was mid-2007, so this was before that. Yeah. You get indignant too, Dan. I, I, I am indignant, <laughs> Uh, yes. Uh, and I, I mean, to, to sort of add to the color that you talked about, the, the countrywide and new century, uh, these structures, uh, you could ensure sort of there was two or three percent of protection underneath the lower rated tranches of these things. So it, it did not require a, a nationwide housing bear market. Hmm. It just sort of required normal subprime borrowers going bad, which generally occurred at sort of 4 to 5%. If that occurred without housing prices going up, they're actually going to experience problems. And these the structures had a, a decent chance to be imperiled in just a, a normal housing market, yeah. let alone a, a bear market. So, Dan, if you recall um, in the... Um uh, in the aftermath of the um, of the blow up, we issued like a 25 page uh, free compendium of our mortgage stories, mortgage kind of a subprime mortgage finance primer, and that primer is now available on uh, the Grants website, grantspub.com. Uh, for the asking. So if you want to get a taste of the cycle and see what uh, the great work that Dan Gertner did, just uh, log on to the website and uh, press a button and bingo, you can download this thing. One of the things I recall you uh, particularly identifying was um, a company called, uh, what is it, Queen's Walk. And this was a, um, a real estate uh, credit thing. I think it was invested in the lower tranches of uh, various uh, uh, CDOs. I don't know. It was like that. Anyway, we, we identified it as the uh, avatar the quintessence of the cycle and said it was going down. And I'm here to say, Dan, you recall this one? I do, yes. Yeah. Okay. From uh, Evan, do you recall the, uh, having looked it up, do you recall five minutes ago, do you recall the percentage decline in the stock? I think it might have been 96. Yeah, that was 96. So uh, this sounds like, uh, like boasting, right? No, it's, well, a little allowable, right? Okay. But it's boasting in the context, ladies and gentlemen, uh, for reminder 
that it is possible for a perfectly efficient Marcus to be perfectly blind, deaf, and dumb. Dan, um, I, I would like to invite you to go down memory lane with me for one particular off-site we took. Uh, I've, I've forgotten when, this was in 2007 maybe? I, I want to say 2007. Yeah, and uh, we got an invitation for lunch. And it was a kind of a command performance. Uh, the, uh, the brass at uh, Standard & Poor's called him and said, would you two croakers care to come for lunch and uh, bring a food taster with you because we hate what you're doing? That was approximately, it was, no, it was more gracious than that. And the, and the people at S&P were, in fact, you know, gracious with a little edge. Do you, re, do you recall this occasion, Dan? Yes, I do. Uh, as you said, you, you got summoned and you cordially invited me to attend with you. So I, I appreciate it. I couldn't it. go I along. Appreciated the t- t- <laughs> you I little appreciated buffer zone. <laughs> so Somebody's got to taste the food, Dan. I think what irritated them was the word, the word alchemy, if I remember. Yes. We rewrote a story called the ABCs of credit contagion and used the word. They didn't like alchemy. contagion either. They didn't, they didn't like a lot of the stuff that we did. So we were summoned. We walked over to the, to the, to the river and went up to whatever the 50th floor and had the, the beautiful view of the Statue of Liberty. I distinctly remember that. And for the next hour, hour and 15 minutes. Seemed yeah, longer, didn't it? We ha- it seemed longer. We had our sandwiches, and we were browbeaten how we were didn't know what we were talking about, yeah. essentially. And they had a – it was the two of us, and they sort of had a, a panel of four or five folks up there. I think they might have even been sitting higher than we were to make us feel like, you know, getting into the principal's office. And we were told we didn't know what we were talking yeah. about. Not and, the first time either. Yeah, yes. And they gave us a three-ring binder with all of their research, and uh, we – I took it home and uh, I probably, I might still have it, uh, but it basically said, we know what we're doing and you guys don't have a clue what you're talking about. And at the end, we, I think you stood up and said you respectfully disagree, disagree and, and we moseyed on back to, to Wall Street. Yeah. Hmm. Well, anyway, um, uh, that was a moment. And uh, so S&P went out of business, right? <laughs> Uh, no, I, I think it remained in business with, with different higher-up executives. <laughs> I don't think the people who entertain us at lunch are there anymore. But uh, no, I, I don't think so. There was a I, was, I recall a press release saying that uh, she had went on to bigger and better things. Spend more time with the uh, children or something. Anyway, um, Dan Gertner, I want to um, thank you for being here this morning, um, and especially to recall. Uh, the phenomenal work that you did 10 years ago and 12 years ago, and I mean, longer than that, but you were the one at Grants who, um, Ian McCulley was your, was your confrere, was your uh, partner in analysis, and uh, he certainly led a hand, but you, um, I think, were, were singularly important in, in this uh, great work. So thank you uh, from, uh, I don't know, I was, I'm going to get, get in, uh, a little sentimental. Thank you, Dan. Uh, <laughs> well, thank you, Jim. It was a pleasure, and uh, I enjoyed it. And just keep up the good work that you're doing. All right. Thank you, Dan. Talk to you soon. I'll see you at the conference, right? The October 9th conference at the Plaza Hotel, where so many, uh, but not too many, people are coming. I am looking forward okay, to it. Okay. See you see then. You okay. Bye, Dan. This segment of Current Yields brought to you in part by Away Travel, the maker of a uh, suitcase to the stars. This uh, baby is Eric. Would you care to test this product? Yeah. 
Well done. As you can tell, ladies and gentlemen, as you can hear, uh, the suitcases are made with uh, premium German polycarbonate, not just any carbonate, not Italian, not Romanian, not uh, New Jersey, but German polycarbonate, unrivaled in strength and impact resistance, and uh, indeed in sound. Eric, you know the whack of this thing? Excellent, not too much. So the interior features a patent-pending compression system, uh, which is helpful for overpackers. You know who you are. Oh, by the way, Phil, you know this uh, TSA approves this thing? Is that right? I don't think less of it for that, do you? No, no, I guess... Uh, you got to go with the flow. If TSA says, okay, fine, it's fine with us. Wave it through. Who are we to say? Maybe the FBI likes it. If the FBI liked it, that would be, that would be it. That I, wouldn't, would, I yeah. wouldn't care to partake, but uh, TSA will let it go. So you get a 100-day free trial. Live with it, vibe with it travel with it any point you decide it's not for you is to return it give it to eric he likes to whack these things around just for the fun of doing it so it's free shipping on any away order uh within the lower 48 states if you're in hawaii or alaska just move <laughs> with, a, with, a, with an away suitcase can help yeah you right, right correct correct so here's a special offer to the listeners of current yield for 20 dollars off a suitcase visit awaytravel.com grantspod and use promo code grantspod during checkout visit awaytravel.com slash GrantsPod and use promo code GrantsPod during checkout. That's for that $20 off deal, which you can't actually beat. So thank you, Way Travel. As for the present, I was, I was thinking this morning, um, Phil and Eric and Evan, I was thinking this morning about the, uh, the parallels today to that distant day uh, on the eve of the eruption and the collapse of all this credit stuff, and uh, you know, we, it wasn't it wasn't not just mortgage uh, abuse. There was uh, a widespread uh, abuse of leverage at the time. We wrote a piece at Grants uh, called um, "It's one of my favorite headlines, and certainly one of the uh, better aging uh, credit pieces we ever done." It's called "Over the Cliff with Morgan Stanley." That was in October of 2006, and uh, so 2000. Four, five, six low interest rates provoke what they usually provoke, which is over speculation, over leverage, overconfidence. This is nothing special about the particular century in which we live, nor is it particular to the monetary arrangements we have, namely paper money, nor is it particular even to too big to fail and to the guarantees that incite so much uh, ill-advised risk-taking. We have had ill-advised risk-taking for at least 200 years, as long as modern capital markets have existed. But here we are 10 years on, and uh, we have had interest rates lower than ever before. Right? We've had uh, such previously unimagined, let alone unseen things as negative nominal interest rates on what, $8 trillion or so at last look of sovereign debt. We've had the all-time lowest uh, U.S. Treasury yield, certainly, uh, anyway, lowest. And we have had the incongruity of depression-level interest rates underneath boom-time asset prices. Can you feature this? I mean, I, I, I think about this all the time. Not, well, I don't mean, I want to seem like an obsessive. I, ladies and gentlemen, I think about it a lot. And nobody talks about that. We talk about this. And I, and I guarantee you the future issues of grants will talk about this. But um, the, to think that, that interest rates last seen, if then, in a depression setting, are the interest rates underneath this extraordinary asset lift age. Just, just, just blows my mind. So you wonder, what are the parallels if any real parallels exist between the mortgage frolics, the tragic mortgage frolics of 10 years ago and the present day. Well, we've, we've, we've been writing about um, uh, collateralized loan obligations, which are a species of, uh, of these things. It's, you know, it's, it's structured finance. What you have is a pile of debt. You have a manager of that debt, and the debt is the assets and also much of the liability. So there's, there's borrowing against that 
debt and the borrowing finances the assets and there's a little stubble of equity at the bottom i think rather more equity than existed in collateralized debt obligations of 10 years ago but still these clo's are the uh, the product of uh, very high confidence very low interest rates and a lot of stretching Right? So the, the, what goes into these things is um, the so-called leveraged loans. Now, leveraged loans would seem like an oxymoron. Every loan is a species of leverage, right? It's debt. But these are loans to leveraged companies. And you get a bunch of these things together, you know, like dozens, scores, hundreds, I don't know how I many, lots. And uh, you uh, pack those babies into a structure and you borrow against it, have a little stub of equity. That is your collateralized loan obligation. The thing about these CLOs and I should, I should say there's uh, like a half trillion of them, which sounds like a lot of money even when you say it fast, except that 10 years ago there were many trillions of mortgages and many trillions, I think, of CDOs and insurance on them. So this is a slightly smaller problem, the CLO problem. Uh, but still, half a trillion is nothing. So um, the hook here is that CLOs did very well for themselves in the uh, 2007 and 8 and 9 era, scarcely very, very few defaults, and no defaults in the AAA and AA tranches. So uh, compare and contrast that performance with the performance, tragically bad performance of CDOs, that is to say, of mortgage structures. So that was then. What you have now is a very different species of leveraged loan in the CLOs. These are much lower credit quality, and they are missing, most of them, uh, the fine print that keeps the borrowers on the straight and narrow, that enforces a certain level of good financial housekeeping. This is called a covenant, and uh, they have been erased, eviscerated. Uh, Evan, you've been following this. You know, the, 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 uh, the test, the uh, leverage test on some of these things is, uh, is, takes the form of, of limits on EBITDA, an unholy measure of something like cash flow, but not exactly cash flow. And it's been even diluted further. Now companies can actually put in assumed cost savings into EBITDA or assumed earnings that they'll get from acquisitions. I mean, EBITDA, even as it was amorphous before, has just become kind of, you know, pick your own adventure. Yeah. This segment of Current Yield, the Grants Podcast, is brought to you in part by Purple Mattress. Now, here's a question. Evan, are you listening? This is for you. How'd you sleep last night? Just okay. Just okay. Just okay. Well, you, uh, Phil? You, yes, just okay. Eric, Evan, uh, Eric, you, uh, not for, you, not for, not worth a damn, right? Eric and I sit on this side of the table, and we apparently have caught the non-sleeping bug. I think with Eric, it is endemic with me, certainly. It is endemic means you can't sleep. And Eric, I got a feeling that's the mattress. That's not the deadline. It's not the book I have to turn into the Norton and Company in uh, two days. It's not the essay I promised uh, to the Claremont Review, nor the essay I promised to uh, the Weekly Standard, both unwritten. Nor is it the next issue of Grants, also unwritten. No, none of that stuff. I can't sleep because of the mattress. Now, if you too are struggling to get a good night's sleep, try Purple Mattress. Purple Mattress will probably be, it feel different than anything you've ever experienced before because it uses a brand new material that was developed by an actual rocket scientist. I think not a Wall Street rocket scientist, right? Phil? Hopefully I think, not. I think, I think a real one. Yeah. It was not like the uh, memory foam that uh, one has been used to. So the purple material feels unique because it is both firm and soft at the same time. Now, you perhaps have uh, met people like that and uh, Evan, you might have married one, right? Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. So it keeps everything supported while still feeling really comfortable. Plus it's breathable so it sleeps cool. Like hip. You're going to load purple. And right now our listeners will get 10% off the entire order in addition to this week's free gift for the purchase. Just go to purple.com and use my promo code grant at checkout. That's purple.com slash grant. That's purple.com slash grant. The only way you get 10% off plus a free gift is to use my code grant at checkout purple.com slash grant. All right, now we can talk like we mean it, 
right? So it's backed by a 10-year warranty, free shipping and returns. Purple. Purple. Yeah, purple mattress. All right. Thank you, purple. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna sound like the 72-year-old crabby guy that I am, all right? Just bear with me because this is me. Okay, so they've adulterated interest rates, right? They've debased accounting, and we're supposed to be complacent. Well, not just complacent, but there's there's actually a great example in the market right all now. All right, let's hear it. So there is refinitive, which so, uh, say it again. Refinitive. Mm. Kind of sounds like a, a prescription drug. Um, this is the acquisition by a Blackstone-led consortium buying out um, a majority stake in Thomson Reuters uh, financial software. They're, they're equivalent of... Right, this is a risk management uh, operation, right? But risk management and also kind of like Bloomberg at post uh -huh. it's the Risk management. Yeah, it's, it's the largest um, uh, leverage buyout since the financial crisis. As we are recording this on uh, September 12th, Blackstone found demand for the leverage loans to finance this deal so great that they're actually moving the pricing up to this Friday from sometime next week. You can't wait, right? Ladies can't and gentlemen, wait. you can't wait. You got to get this thing. Take and, my money. And in terms of the bonds financing this deal, Covenant Review, um, a, a research uh, firm that- Not finding, a research, uh, the, the, the very fine Covenant Review. The very fine uh, Covenant Review, which is finding fewer covenants to review. Um, well, it's, so, like interest, it's like grants interest rates. Where the, where the heck are the interest rates? <laughs> Covenant Review found that Blackstone's uh, uh, high-yield bonds financing deal were some of the worst of this cycle. Um, they allow um, the, the sponsors to basically steal assets and, you know, put them over to the uh, equity side as opposed to the debt yeah. side. They allow them to assume cost savings have already been achieved when they've just been dreamed about. Well, it surprised me a little bit. Steve Schwarzman and those guys at, uh, at Blackstone, I think, are pretty straight shooters. And um, I think this is top of the cycle stuff. They don't, they don't mean to do this, but they have been driven to it by the, uh, I don't know, by the uh, gravitational force of this uh, long-lived and not altogether uh, scintillating experience and over-leverage we have. Say, um, one of our uh, loyal listeners, I presume he's loyal, he certainly took the trouble to write to us, Stefan Kiddick, wants to know about uh, books to read with respect to cycles. Are there books one can read and be enlightened on the rhythm of cycles and how to navigate one's way through them as an investor? And Stefan, there is. There, there are many such, and I'm going to mention one or two, actually, I only wrote one of the two I'm going to mention, so just to keep it kind of uh, impartial. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The one that I did not write, and perhaps the more meritorious, is uh, the author is Benjamin Anderson, and the title is Economics and the Public Welfare. I would say that's about the worst book title of this week. A lot of competition. Yeah, well, there's, there's some competition. Yeah, there's come, but uh, Economics and the Public Welfare does not sound like the thing you bring to bed with you and, and you can't sleep because you've been, you can't put it down. But it, it, it kind of is. It, it is a history of American finance uh, from 1913, the dawn of the Federal Reserve era, until 1946. So you get, uh, you get a boom, you get the great bust, and you get uh, wartime suppression of interest rates. You get everything we have now, a different, uh, well, dress different. Right, but that's it's kind of the, that's the substantive <laughs> difference. People always behave the same around money; they overdo it, underdo it. Benjamin Anderson was the uh, chief economist for the Chase Bank, then the Chase National Bank. Very wise head and uh, somewhat astringent, sound money guy, gold standard guy. You know, intelligent person, Evan and Phil, the kind of the person you want to have. Uh, he gets speak it. at a grants conference. Exactly, he's no longer with us, but Benjamin Anderson has did a very good. So anyway, Stefan, economics and the public welfare. You can find it in the used book websites, um, uh, maybe Amazon has. I don't know. I think it does. And uh, my own book is called uh, The Trouble with Prosperity. It's, uh, it's, it's a kind of a history and uh, uh, a little thought. Uh, I don't know. It's a, I don't know. It's, I wrote it. How can I, I anyway, it's a pretty good book about uh, cycles. So uh, that too is available somewhere. The trouble is not in print, but uh, it's available on used book websites. So uh, that, uh, I don't know. What, uh, I think, uh, Phil, Evan, and Eric, we ought to um, uh, say goodbye because uh, some of us around this table are getting a little grumpy. Who? 
uh, I can't uh, go on to name names. But ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. And uh, next time, this is uh, Current Yield, the Grants Interest Rate Observer podcast. Mm-hmm.